Well, good morning, everybody. Trust all is well. If you want to uh, follow along, we're on the test, a series in the life of Joseph. Some, some have been asking that I've, I mention that app every now and then, and I just want to mention again, if you go on your phones and you have downloaded the Bible app, all you got to do is click on it, and then in the bottom right-hand corner, you hit more, and under more is events, and then you hit Clover Hill, and there's message notes. There's everything you need to follow along in this morning's message. There's also the greatest thing I love about the series we're in right now is it's also an all-church small group series. So all you have to do to, to contribute to your group is, is to, to come to church. And if for some reason, some crazy just reason you can't come to church, and I know that like never happens, then all you got to do is watch it online, and you can contribute and be a part. You can follow. So take some notes this morning and uh, try to learn something. I think, you know, the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the teacher. So regardless of who's teaching you, you can learn if you'll open up your heart and open up your mind, and, and God will help us. But, but, uh, but this, the test, oh, one more thing. Tonight is next steps. If you have never been or you're new to the church tonight, just come. We'll, we'll, uh, I'll share with you kind of the vision, the mission, the purpose of the church. It'll be an opportunity for me to get to know you, for us to talk a little bit. Child care is provided. Just let us know at one of the red tents that you're coming tonight. We would really love to have you. So, so here's our story. Let me just give you some backdrop, some back. Uh, Joseph was the favored child. Remember, he was born to Jacob in his old age. And, and he gets a dream uh, of this destiny that God has for him. And, and there is. There's a call of God on Joseph's life. There is a preferred future that God has for him. There, there's an anointing upon him, but, but before he can step into his destiny, he's got to go through some tests so that his character will be able to support what God has for him. And some of you think, well, that's good for Joseph and David and for people in the Bible, but I'm just okay with who I am, and God really doesn't have anything for me, and, and I, that's not the truth. God has a plan for your life. God has a destiny. He, he has a mission for you to accomplish. You weren't just born just by random, you were born in a specific season, in a specific generation, in a specific place, so that God could fulfill the destiny that he has on your life. But just like Joseph, if you're going to fulfill your destiny, your character has to be able to support it. So you're liable to go through some tests. Here's how James said it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that testing of your faith develops something. It develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature. I want you thinking the way, here's what God says, I want you thinking about yourself how I think about you. I want you thinking about life how I think about it. I want you living according to my plan and my purpose. I want you to be mature. I want you to be complete. I don't want you living in your rearview mirror still, still messed up over past offense and hurts. I want you redeemed. I want God using those past experiences for his glory and for his honor. I want you not lacking anything. I want you to be fulfilled. I want you to know that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And so to get there, you've got to sometimes go through these tests. And Joseph struggled with pride. That, that was one of his issues. He, he bragged about his favorite position. He, he brought negative reports to his dad about the brothers. He flaunted his, his, his dreams. And, and if you remember, when pride moves in, God moves out because God opposes the proud but gives grace 
to the humble. And, and so Joseph, because of his pride, gets thrown into a pit. And I don't want you to think it's like a little hole. A pit was a cistern or a well. So it was, it was deep and, and it was dark and it was cold and it was nasty. And his jealous brothers throw him in the pit. And I'm sure he's in that pit going, justifying, well, if, if, if my dad wouldn't have, if I wouldn't have been born to him in, my, in his old age, if, if he wouldn't have given me this code, if God wouldn't have given me these dreams, I'm just, a, I'm just a victim of my circumstances. And I'm sure he wanted to play the victim card. But he got to the place in that pit where he began to look inward and began to reflect, well, maybe I'm part of the problem. Maybe the reason all 10 of my brothers hate me is not because of them. Maybe it's because of me. And maybe there's an issue in my life. Lord, will you point that out? And God began to convict him of his pride. And, and when you're in the pit, you gotta, you got to remember that the Holy Spirit wants to convict you to draw you closer to Jesus. You've got this issue of pride. Man, let me forgive it. Let me help you in it. Let me, let me come alongside you. But the voice of the enemy wants to condemn you and wants to push you away or distance you from God. That pride is going to destroy you. You're never, God could never forgive that. You've crossed the line. You've went too far. They, Joseph began to look inward, then he rejected the lies, and then he cried out to God, God, I'm sorry for my pride, and, and I realize it's in you I live and move and have my very being, and, and forgive me for putting myself on the throne of my heart, and forgive me for thinking my qualities and my giftedness were, were enough, and forgive me for my attitude of superiority over my brothers, and I just, you know what he was doing? He was crying out to God. He was repenting. Repenting means turn, changing your mind and changing your heart and changing directions from your sin. And when you repent, God oftentimes begins to change the circumstance. And so these brothers are headed back home, and, and the Holy Spirit speaks to them, and they turn to the pit, and they fetch Joseph out of that pit. And instead of letting him die and, and starve to death in that pit, they sell him to some slave traders. And so these slave traders take him to Egypt, and this is where we are. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials. So Pharaoh is the head guy in Egypt. He has all these other head leaders, and they're known, one of them is known as Potiphar. And, and so Potiphar is the captain of the guard, and he bought from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So Potiphar buys Joseph, and he makes him a slave in his home, one of many slaves. The Lord was with Joseph, so that he prospered. And I, I just want to focus, just highlight that for a minute. God prospered him. I, you need to know prosperity, prospering is not a bad word. The word prosper means to push forward or to, to move ahead. I, I, I like to illustrate it. This week I took Micah to a park and we were swinging and he got in that swing. And he tried to, you know, when they try to pump and, they, and he just couldn't get going. He just couldn't get his his legs and, and get enough momentum to really get started. So I just came behind him. This is the Hebrew word for prosper. And I gave him a little push. I, I gave him a little shove and so that he could get going and so that he could swing and be. And then we did the underdog thing. Anybody ever do that? Am I the only one? Am I making a fool of myself? And you just go underdog and he, and he goes behind you. I was just prospering him. I was moving him forward. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. When the Lord is with you, you're going to prosper, and, and you're going to, then it's going to be good. And, you, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. And it goes on to say, when his master saw that the Lord was with him, so he was watching him, he was observing him. God was with him and prospering him. 
The Lord gave him success in everything he did. Whatever he touched just seemed to work. And Joseph found favor in, in his eyes, in, in, in the Pharaoh's and the uh, Potiphar's eyes, and became his attendant. So he went from one of many slaves to the slave, to the one that saw everything. Potiphar put in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. When the Lord is with you and he makes you prosper, you get blessed and other people are blessed because of you. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food he ate. It's the palace test this morning, and, and I, I just, here's the big idea. God wants you blessed. God wants you to prosper. God wants to push you forward. And I know there's been some teaching on the prosperity gospel that, that, that's not accurate and not, not true, that God wants you to, you know, drive a Cadillac and wants you to fly first class and, 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 and all that. And, and because of that message, we've, we've pushed this, this idea of God pushing us and, and moving us. We've kind of thrown it out. And We've almost bought into a poverty gospel. And, I, and I, I'm telling you, the word of God is very clear. God does want to pros, prosper you. He, here's what he says in Genesis. Different guy, same principle. Then Isaac sowed in that land. He, he planted a, a crop, and he reaped this, that same year a hundredfold. That's a big deal. Because the Lord blessed him. When the Lord blesses you, he'll, he'll provide supernaturally. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became prosperous. Do you, do you think God is opposed to us being prosperous? Do you, do you think, here's what the New Testament says. That's all Old Testament. Okay, third, three, uh, third John 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and may be in health just as your soul prospers. God doesn't want you discouraged, de depressed. And, and broke. He wants you healthy, whole, and blessed. God, and, and what happened in, in Joseph's life, that God was with him, and he began to prosper him. He began to, began to push him forward and began to elevate his influence and was lifting him to a higher place of responsibility. How many would like God to push you forward in your career or in your studies? Or would like God to help you go further, do better, accomplish more? How would you like God to make you more successful at your job or as a parent or in a relationship? where other people even took notice, where, where God was just pushing you. And, I mean, that's, that's the cry. My heart, God, I want you to give me greater influence and greater impact. I want you to help me fulfill my destiny and my potential. I want to be everything that you've ordained me to be. Well, well how does that happen? Here's, here's how it is. The key to prospering is the presence of the Lord. And, and if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, Write this down, because you're going to need it in small group this week. The key to prospering is the presence of the Lord. The Lord was with Joseph, and whatever he did prospered. In two weeks from today, we're going to talk about the prison test. And Joseph was thrown into prison because he was unjustly uh, uh, told that he did something, which he didn't do. And in the prison... The Lord was with him and began to elevate him, and he became second in charge of the whole prison. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. If the favor and blessing and grace of God is in your life, it will push you forward, and people will notice it. 
And nothing can replace the, pre the presence of God. No talent, no gift, no education, no ability compare with the blessings and favor of God. That's why Moses in Exodus 33, Moses understood prayer to be a dialogue, not a monologue. So Moses would talk and he would listen. And, and Moses would talk and God would talk. And they'd talk to each other like they were friends. And, and that's how what prayer is supposed to be between us and our, and our Heavenly Father. And, and God came to Moses and said, Moses, I'm going to let you go in the promised land, but I'm not going with you. I'm going to let an angel go. The, the Israelites have been rebellious, and, and they're, just, they're just a bunch of hardheads. I'm not going. And here's what Moses said. Because the key to prospering is the presence of the Lord. Moses knew this. Moses said to him, if your presence, and listen, there's the omnipresence of God. That means God is everywhere at all the time. You can't escape the omnipresence of God. There's the inward presence of God, where you get born again. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in your life. It's the inward presence of God. That's not what Moses is talking about. He's talking about the manifest presence of God, where God reveals himself to Moses with his five senses, where he can see him and touch him and feel him and hear him and talk with him. But Moses is saying, hey, I don't want to go into the promised land unless your presence goes with us. Moses realized that there was nothing that can compare to the presence of God. Do not send us up from here without your presence. Where's here? It's in the desert. It's where it's hot. It's humid. It's, it's, it's miserable. It's lifeless. But here's what Moses is saying. I would rather stay in the desert with your presence than move into the promised land without your presence. I need the presence of God because the only thing that's going to cause me to prosper the only thing that's going to push me forward is not my, not my creativity, not my, my, my giftings. It's going, to be the, it's going to be the blessing of God. It's going to be the presence of God. God, I'm desperate for your presence. Okay, how do I get God's presence? Thanks for asking. The key to the presence of the Lord is obedience. You want God's presence you have to obey. Let me give you some scripture. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Why? Again, because he was special, because he was unique, because he was gifted. No, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals in our day. He didn't listen to the voice of the world. But he sought God, the God of his father, and followed his commands, followed God's commands rather than the practices of Israel. Oh, you want to do your own thing? You do your own thing. But I'm going to follow the word of God. I'm going to honor God's word. God was with him, and he prospered because of his obedience to God's word. Here's, here's 1 Samuel 18. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David. You remember Saul was the first king of Israel, David uh, took his place as the second king. Saul began to recognize the call and the anointing and the favor of God on his life. And people were singing about David. And, and Paul was get, Saul was getting pushed aside. And, 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 and Saul, he got really scared. And he got really jealous. And he got really anxious. Because he could see the favor and the blessing of God on David's life. And the, and the presence of God had departed from Saul. The, uh, you telling me the presence of God was on David, but it was not on Saul. Why? God's no respecter of persons. It, 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 had, it had everything to do with, with, their, with their obedience. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 15, the prophet Samuel comes to Saul and says, hey, here's the word of the Lord. Destroy all the Amalekites. 
get rid of all their sheep, all their junk, everything. Destroy them. They've been rebellious and hard-hearted. You're going to be the judgment of God on their life. That's the Old Testament. You're going to be the judgment of God on your life. I want you to destroy them. And Samuel goes back to God, and King Saul takes his army to go fight the Amalekites. And Saul's talking to, Samuel's talking to God one day, and God says, hey, Samuel, why didn't Saul follow the command that I gave him through you? And Samuel said, well, I'm sure he did. Let me go talk to him. And so Samuel goes over to Saul and says, Saul, why didn't you obey the, the word of the Lord? Why didn't you destroy all the Amalekites? And Saul said, I did. I wiped them all out just like you told me. And he had barely, he'd barely got out of his mouth, I did, until Samuel heard the bleeding of sheep. You know that's what sheep do? They bleed. Did you know that? No? You don't care. That's what they did. And so that, that's what the Bible says. They bleed. And so I went on Google and I said, I said, what does a sheep sound like so that I could bleat appropriately? And I practiced, but I'm so bad, I'm not, bah, something like that. And so now everybody's embarrassed for me, but it's sheep. And, and uh, why do I hear sheep? I thought you killed everything. Well, I, we didn't kill everything. We wanted to keep the best so that we could sacrifice them to God. And then he started hearing the cows and the oxen and everything else started. Man, wow, I thought you killed everything. Well, well, the soldiers wanted to keep some stuff for themselves. And then he drags the king out, the king of the Amalekites. And, and Samuel says, I thought you killed everything. Well, we didn't want to kill the king. We just, we just let it. We wanted him to live. And, and the Bible says because of Saul's disobedience, that God was frustrated and upset that he had ever made him king. Saul tried to justify his sin and rationalize his sin and, and pass his sin to somebody else. And the presence of the Lord departed from him. But David, he had the success of the Lord. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. You know anything about David? He failed. I mean, he blew it. He messed up. He did some things in our eyes that were probably worse sins than Samuel's disobedience. But the Lord was with David, and he had great success. The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Why is that? Because David, when he sinned, he repented. He cried out to the Lord. He who conceals his sin will not prosper. He who tries to hide it, to try to justify it, to try to rationalize it, will not prosper. But he who renounces his sin and confesses it will find success or will find mercy. David cried out to God, God, I've sinned, and I've sinned against you alone. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just asking you, Lord, Lord, will you not cast me out from your presence and will you restore unto me the joy of my salvation and will you forgive me and will you cleanse me and God said he took his sin and he threw it as far as the east is from the rest and he removed his transgression for him and the presence and the favor and the blessing of God remained on him not because he was perfect because he was broken a broken and contrite heart I will not despise because he was repentant because he surrendered to the will and the way of God. Here's what Deuteronomy says. Uh, let me again, we want to be pushed forward. We want to prosper. We want the blessing of the Lord. I mean, I do. If you don't, I don't know why you're here, but I do. I want it, man. I want the touch of God on my life. I want other people to recognize it. I want people to be better because of my influence. I want to walk in a room and, and, and I mean, here's my prayer that, that people are somehow drawn to Jesus through my actions and and, and just my countenance and my words, that's my hope. That can only happen if the, if, the, if the presence of God is on my life. And I can only have the presence of God as I obey his word. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing 
will come if you obey the commands of the Lord that's your God that I'm giving you today. The curse is if you disobey the commands of the Lord, your God, and turn from the way that I command you today. By following other gods which you have not known. Hey, if you'll obey me, if you'll follow me, if you'll go after me, I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. I, 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 will, I will push you forward. I, I, will, I will prosper you. But if you choose not to, then you're on your own. And I'm not, I'm not talking about salvation this morning. I don't want you to confuse that I'm trying to teach a work-based salvation. You're... You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But if you're really committed, if you've really made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to want to obey. Listen to 1 John. And how can we be sure we belong to him? By obeying his commandments. If someone says, I belong to God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person's a liar and does not live in the truth. But those who obey God's word really do love him. That is the way to know whether or not we live in him. Do you obey him? Here's what Jesus said. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Why do you profess with your mouth, but don't follow it with your heart? Why do your words say something, and your actions say something else? You want my presence. You want my blessing. You want me to push you forward. But you're unwilling to obey. Here's what Matthew said. Jesus taught this little story. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, who does them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, they beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. One house stood, one house toppled. One, what, what was the difference? Was the foundation. One, what was the foundation? The foundation was obedience. One obeyed the word of God and it stood strong. One disobeyed and it crashed. What we build our life on, obedience or disobedience is, is going to be the thing that spurs us on, that pushes us on towards success concerning morality. It, the Bible is very clear. I know, what, I know what the culture is telling us and what the TV tells us and what our friends are telling us, but the, the, the Bible is very clear that we're to flee from sexual immorality. That we're to be holy as God's holy. That we're to honor God with our bodies. Yet, yet somehow, and I'm talking, I'm talking to Christians today, yet somehow we've been deceived into believing that sex outside of marriage, outside of the marriage covenant is okay and somehow it's expected. Uh, some of us as men, we refuse to get accountability and protection from stuff that's on the internet. When we know 
that the enemy is, is prowling around looking for someone to devour. We know that, that he's a liar and the father of lies. But instead of putting up boundaries and getting protections and, and getting a filter and connecting with another man that can, can hold us accountable and, and keep us on the right path, I'll just do it my way. We live with our boyfriends and girlfriends as if, as if that's okay. We date unbelievers. The Bible's very clear, don't be unequally yoked with somebody who doesn't believe God. How can light have fellowship with darkness? You're, set, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're putting yourself in a position where, where more often than not it doesn't work out. We allow our minds to wonder. We flirt in the office. We wear things that are seductive and productive, uh, pr- provocative, but yet we want God's blessing. Here, here's, here's, here's my thing. If you want God's favor, you got to do it God's way. I can't tell you the number of people that have come into my office and they've said, Pastor, we, we want a Christian wedding. We want the church's blessing. We want God to be in it. Okay, are you willing to do it God's way? No, no. And they're like, no, well, why would we do that? Why would we move out? Why, why would we stay pure? Why would we honor the Lord? Well, why do you want God's blessing? If you're not willing to, to live by the word of God, if you're not, and I'm not talking about perfection, I'm talking about progress. We all fall short. We all miss the mark. But there ought to be a desire in our heart. If we truly know God, we'll want to obey God. When it comes to our finances, our money, we act like it's ours. When the Bible is very clear, we don't own it, we manage it. We're stewards of the blessing and provision and generosity of God. God commands us to give. I mean, it's so clear. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. Give, and it will be given unto you. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God loves a cheerful giver. Just as you excel in everything, excel in the grace of giving, yet only 10 to 25% of an average congregation tithes. And Christian, on average, are giving 2.5% of their income, and the more you make, the less you give percentage-wise. The Bible is very clear to save for the future and, and to to save for emergencies and, and save for, for that big expense. But the average American has less than $1,000 in savings. The Bible is very clear to live within your means and to live on a budget. It, it, it just spells it out. The debtor is slave to the lender. Let no debt remain outstanding but the continuing debt to love one another. Yet the average household is in $16,000 of debt. One quarter of every dollar goes to pay off consumer debt. You want God's blessing, do it God's way. What about our marriages? The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's very clear in Scripture. There's no debating that. There's no picking that apart. To love your spouse as Christ loves the church means to love her unconditionally and sacrificially and romantically. That you woo her and, and, and tell her how valuable and precious she is. And wives, the Bible is very clear that we're to, you're to honor and respect your husband. That means to appreciate and affirm and encourage. Don't tear them down, but build them up. Be their biggest fan. Be their biggest cheerleader. Husbands, the Bible says lead your wives spiritually. That means to pray with them and for them. Display Christ-like character. Model spiritual discipline. Wives, the Bible says respond to your husbands. And I would add sometimes initiate, and I am talking sexually. And I didn't say it. Paul said it. Thank God for the apostle Paul. Amen, everybody. He said, wives, respond. You want the blessing and the favor of God? Do it God's way. Man, I'm preaching a lot better than you're amening. <laughs> your mission, 
your purpose, your job. The Bible is very clear. Your working is unto the Lord. You're not working for a paycheck. You're not working for a boss. You're working for God. And do everything without grumbling and complaining. Joseph was a slave. Yes, he was in the palace, but he was still a slave. But he served his master with integrity and with passion. And he paid attention to detail. And he worked with joy and he worked hard. And God was with him. And God elevated him to the second highest position in Egypt. And the only reason he wasn't in the first position, because he was a Hebrew, not Egyptian. If you want God's blessing, do it God's way. Don't expect God's blessing. Don't get mad at God when things go sour if you're not willing to obey his words and follow his command. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a works-based gospel. I'm talking about you want greater influence. You want more of God's presence. You want more of an anointing, a power on your life. You can't have power without purity. You can't have God's grace and, and his anointing on your life if you're trying to live your way and do your thing. It, it starts, man, I just want God's favor. Well, you can't have God's, you can't have God's uh, uh, prosperity until you have God's presence. And you can't have God's presence until you're living in obedience. And according to John, you just can't blow God off if you know him. If you're really saved and you know God, you'll obey God. Obey, obedience is not the cause of you knowing God. Obedience is the result of you knowing God. You don't obey God you, so you can be saved. You obey God because you are saved. Here's the next key. Well, well, okay, I want to obey. What's the key? The key to obedience is faith. If you believe, you'll obey. And I don't mean to be repetitive, but I do, because we all want the blessing and the favor and the prosperity of God. So you've got to have the presence of God. And if you're going to have the presence of God, you've got to obey God. And the only way you can obey God is if you believe God, if you have faith. See, faith is Faith is what causes a farmer to put that seed in the ground and work hard and because and, and, he believes that if he works hard and does his part, God's going to do his part and he's going to produce a crop. Faith is that teacher that continues to invest in that student day after day, week after week because she has faith. She believes that eventually this kid's going to get it. Faith is what caused me to wake up this morning when I turned on the hot water. I waited for a minute because I knew that the hot water heater was going to kick in and eventually that cold water would become hot. I, I had faith in that, I believe. Faith is what keeps your eyes on Jesus. The be believing in him is what keeps your eyes on Jesus, your hand to the plow, and your life committed to his word. I, I believe God's ways are better than the enemy's ways. I believe God's ways work. That's why I obey him. I believe that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus comes to have give us life and more abundantly. That's why I want to do it Jesus' way. I believe Jesus died for me. That's why I want to live for him. I believe there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Therefore, I'm going to live in such a way that brings glory and honor to Christ. I believe God rewards the righteous, so I'm going to pursue righteousness. I believe one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account. Therefore, I try to live in such a way that I'll be able to stand with integrity and purpose. I believe that he's the vine and I'm the branch, and apart from him, I can do nothing. Therefore, I fight to stay connected to the vine. I believe that his joy is my strength. His peace passes all understanding, and his presence is my greatest need. Therefore, I seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you believe God's word, you'll obey God's word. It comes back to obedience. Here's Hebrews 3. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who, who disobeyed? 
So Paul, uh, the writer, they're not sure who wrote Hebrews, but he's talking about the Israelites. And, and God had a destiny for them. He had a place for them. But they didn't enter in. Was it be, who's not going to enter in? Well, obviously, it's a rhetorical question, those who, don't dis, those who disobey. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. If they believed, they would have obeyed. And if they obeyed, they would have entered. But because they didn't believe, they didn't obey. Therefore, they didn't enter. So you want the blessing of God. You want God to move you forward. You got to live in the presence of God. You got to walk with God. The only way you can walk with God is if you obey God. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about progress, where you're moving forward in the things of God. And the only way you can obey God is if you believe his word. That you believe his promises are yes, amen. That, that, that if you believe that the wages of sin is death. That if you believe that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe the, the scripture that I read in 1 John, to know him is to obey him. If you believe God's word, faith produces obedience. Okay, how, how do I produce faith? Thanks for asking. Here's the last point. The key to faith is hearing the word. Here's what Paul said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more you hear God's word, the more you listen to it, the more you read it, the more you meditate on it, the more you memorize it, the more you think about it, the more your faith is built. The more your faith is built, the more you want to obey. The more you obey, the more presence of God will manifest in your life. And the more you live in the presence of God, the more you'll prosper and succeed. Each one of us can prosper. Joseph's is not a, is, is not a unique situation. He's not an anomaly. Is that a word, homily? Like a per, anomaly? I should never try to use big words. He's, he's, not, he's not somebody. <laughs> I just stepped out of the anointing just for those few seconds. Tried to get in my own wisdom, and you see what happens. He, he's, not, he's not special. He's not unique. We, could all, we can all prosper. We can all have the blessing. We can all have the favor of God. We can all experience that push. We can all experience that projection until we, till we, till we where other people notice it. But for that to happen, you've got to walk in his presence. You've got to be desperate for the presence of God. Lord, without you, I can do nothing. If you're going to experience the presence of God, you've got to be willing to obey. God, I'm, I'm going to hear your word. I'm going to put it into practice. I'm going to do it your way because I want your results. And the only way you can really obey is if you believe. If you truly believe that God's word that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God's going to stand forever. And the only way you can, you can believe is if you saturate your heart and your mind in it. So here's the assignment. Here's the hope. Here's the to-do. Become students of God's word. There's no excuse in the culture that we live in and the resources that we have that we cannot be I mean, we can listen to it on the way to work. We can pump it through our house through praise and worship. We can get study guides and, and Bibles that will help us understand it. We
We have journals that we can dot, jot down our ideas. We have every we have every resource known and available to man, so that the Word of God can permeate and 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 take root in our hearts, so so that our faith can grow and that our faith can produce obedience, and the obedience can produce more of the presence of God in our lives, and the presence of God in our lives can produce the prosperity and the blessing and the favor and the grace of God, so that everything we do will succeed. Here's the last verse, Psalms 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. But those who delight in the law of the Lord, those who meditate on it, those who think about it, those who listen to it, those who read it, who do it day and night, The person, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever they do, they will prosper. Amen, everybody. Stand to your feet, will you, Lord? That's our hope. That's our desire. That's our longing. Lord, we want more of your presence. We want to walk in obedience. We want obedience to to be lived out because of our faith. And we want our faith to be increased because we're under the teaching and instruction and reading of the Word of God. Lord, do something in us today. Lord, do something in us today. Ignite something, God. Fire something up in us. Lord, give us a greater desire and a greatest passion. Lord, I come against complacency in the name of Jesus. Lord, I come against fear in the name of Jesus. Lord, I, I come against that idea that I'm okay, you're okay, and everything's fine. Lord, I pray you'll baptize us today with a greater passion and a greater hunger and a greater desire for the things of God. That like Moses, we will say, God, we don't want to go without your presence. We don't want to live without the life-giving spirit of God activated on the inside of us. Oh, Lord, we want more. If that's your prayer, will you lift your hands towards heaven and just and just say, God, give me more. God, fill me with your grace and your love and your power and your presence. Lord, I want to obey. I want my faith to be ignited and sparked today. Lord, I believe. That's my confession. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you came and you lived and you died. I believe you resurrected. I believe that you're alive and well. I believe that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. Lord, I believe that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords, and like you, there is no other. Lord, I believe that your promises are yes and amen. I believe you you delight over us. I believe you reward the righteous. I believe that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Lord, I believe that if I trust in you with all my heart and lean not on my own understanding, if I'll acknowledge you in all my ways, that you'll direct my path. Lord, we believe it today. Lord, we believe it today. We thank you for